And for all of you, we are going to open our Bibles to John. Everyone say John. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. And so if you want to, open your Bible there. We're going to read a lot of this chapter today. We're really going to dig into the chapter. If you want to follow along with message notes on your bulletin, you can scan the QR code, and that's the message notes right there. And so while you're looking for those message notes, really my message today, I want to talk about identity. I want to talk about authority. But the truth is, a lot of times, we try to project something, but other people see something totally different. And it's not just us, even our best brands in the world, companies, they try to project something, but we all see something a little bit different. I wonder what would happen if brands were a little bit more honest. Like what, what would happen if we really saw what was going on? Because we all knew. What, like for instance, Monopoly. What if Monopoly's slogan was, uh, a great way to ruin friendships? <laughs> Or what if, what if Perrier's uh, was like, rich people water? <laughs> we drink Topo Chico around here, okay? And so, uh, or Gillette. Uh, we just keep adding more blades. <laughs> like, it's like the Mach 12. It's like, it's like, what are we doing? I like this one for Bic. Bic is, uh, you probably didn't buy it. <laughs> probably didn't buy it. Or this one, and parents, you know this one, Legos. The bane of your foot's existence. <laughs> Some of you have stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night and your kids have learned a new word. And so, uh, I just know that's true. Or, <laughs> I like this one, Wikipedia. Wikipedia, you're welcome, college students. <laughs> or finally, the one that trips me up the most, the one that has caused me so many painful hours, Ikea. We throw in extra parts just to mess with you. <laughs> I get to the end of building the bookshelf and there's a whole pile of parts in the corner and Sarah's like, what are those parts? I was like, it's gonna be fine. <laughs> I'm sure I did it right. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, try to, we try to project these things. And a lot of times where we really try to project something is work, um, at our work. Let me ask you this, what's the worst job you've ever had? What's that worst job that you've ever had? Um, I have two that come to mind. One is my first, one of my first jobs in college is I was a telemarketer. And so like, oh, <laughs> I, I just lost you all. Yeah, I was a telemarketer. And I, this was back when there was something called long distance. And so I was 18 years old and I was selling long distance for a company called MCI. And so I would like, I know, <laughs> I'm, I can feel you getting angry at me. I was that guy, I probably called most of you. <laughs> And so I had to work for MCI and I'd call people and I'd be like, uh, you know, um, hey, this is Rob Stennett from MCI. What's your long distance rates? And they'd be like, do you know it is the middle of dinner right now? And I was like, yes, I know it's the middle of dinner. They're like, do you plan it for it to be right in the middle of dinner? And I was like, I'm so sorry. They're like, what about you give me your phone number and I'll call you in the middle of dinner? And I was like, sure. My phone number is 719-351-3884, but that call's gonna cost you a lot of money, so I'll sell you long distance, be cheaper. And I sold that guy. <laughs> I sold that guy. <laughs> Telemarketing, do not do it. <laughs> but my worst job that I ever had, this is not an exaggeration, my worst job I ever had, I was in grad school in Los Angeles, super poor, and so I was like, okay, I've gotta make money, was looking through classifieds, and I fought, saw that Los Angeles Unified School Districts were looking for substitute teachers. 
So I signed up to be a sub at LA High Schools, walking in. I was not this Adonis that you see before you today, a skinny grad school student, and I walked in, and I remember getting there to that first day, and the principal's like, oh, you're gonna wear a red tie to class? And I was like, yeah, why, is that a problem? He's like, shouldn't be a problem. And so I was like, I was like okay. And so I remember walking into class, and it was like, these were some, you know, tough kids. These were some kids who had seen some things. And so there's 30 of them. There's one of me. And I remember looking at one kid and I was just like, okay, you need to sit down right now. You need to sit down right now. You know, and they're all talking. And I picked one of them, like, you need to sit down. He's like, or what? What are you going to do to me? And I remember standing back there as a sub and I was like, I have no authority. I have, there, there's nothing like, who am I? I'm one against 30. I have no authority. I have no power. And I think Sometimes what we do is when we pray, we pray like we're a substitute teacher. We pray like, okay, I'm saying this prayer, but I don't really believe it. I'm saying this prayer, but I don't know if it has any authority. I don't know if it has any power. I don't know if I'm just saying empty words right now. The key to power and authority in praying is praying in the name of Jesus. And so I want to break down what that means. I want to break down what that means. And to do that today, we're going to dive into the Gospel of John. Four Gospels, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, Mark is like the straight-to-the-point guy. He's like, Matthew takes 28 chapters, I'm going to do it in 16. Like, he really just kind of gets right to it. Luke is more the, like, surgeon, the precise. Like, he really gets a lot of, like, details on what's going on. But what I love about the Gospel of John is it really gets to the heart of who Jesus is. You know what uh, John called miracles? He called them signs because he said, hey, this miracle right here is something that is pointing to who Jesus is. John was the one who talked about the humanity of Jesus. He's the one, most kids have this memorized, John eleven thirty five. 35, and want to remember what that says? What does it say? Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. I remember trying to impress my dad with that. He was not impressed. <laughs> but, you know, John talks about the humanity, who Jesus is. And so today we're really going to dive into John chapter 14, and uh, we're going to talk about what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. And just for context, this is one of the last times that Jesus was sitting down with his disciples. He was kind of giving them final instructions. So this is after Lazarus. This is after Nicodemus. Uh, John 3.16 happened. This is after a lot of the ministry was happening. This is kind of him sitting down by the campfire with his disciples, giving some of the final instructions. And so I remember right before Sarah left for Europe, she gave me the, she told me a bunch of stuff, but she gave me some final instructions and she's like, okay, this is the important stuff. Rob, you have to remember this stuff or your kids are going to fail out of school. You've got to do this. This stuff I want you to remember. That's what this is, this chapter is with Jesus. He's like, this is the important stuff. Guys, lean in. This is the stuff you have to remember. And so this is, this is a moment, and we know there's tension going on here because Jesus had already told Peter, you're going to deny me. Judas had already planned to betray Jesus. There was tension brewing amongst them. And so in this, bring the scene. Let's go to the campfire with the disciples and hear what Jesus said. He said this, John 14, 1. Don't be troubled. Trust in God and trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's house. I would not tell you this if it were not true. I'm going to prepare a place for you. After I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. Then I will take you with me so that you can be where I am you know the place where I'm going. So it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, Jesus, uh, 
his dad has this big Airbnb, I guess, where there's like a lot of rooms and we're going to be invited into it. They're kind of excited. And so Jesus says, hey, you know where I'm going. But then Thomas, God bless Thomas, he kind of raises his hand. Verse 5, he says this, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father too. But now you know the Father. You have seen him. Then Philip, Philip interrupted and he said, Lord, show us the Father. That is what we need. Jesus answered, Philip, I've been with you a long time. So you should know me. Anyone who's seen me has seen the Father too. So what do you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The things I've told you don't come from me. The Father lives in me and he is doing his own work. Believe me when I say I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or believe me because of the miracles, the signs I have done. I can assure you, whoever believes in me will do the same things I have done. And they will do even greater things that I have done because I'm going to the Father. And if I ask you anything in my name, or if you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. Then the Father's glory will be shown through the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. So he's really hitting on this thing, idea. Ask for things in my name. Few thoughts in this passage. One, I like how conversational it is. Jesus is teaching, and the disciples kind of keep interrupting with questions. Uh, honestly, this whole chapter feels like a one-chapel staff meeting. <laughs> <laughs> We're not, like, filming this, right? <laughs> well, Ross will kind of go in and be like, okay, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. And then my hand goes up. David's hands goes up. You know, like, everyone's kind of asking different questions. What about this? Have you thought about this? You know, and just that sort of thing. But what I love about Jesus is he goes and he takes time for each one of those questions. Because, honestly, I think they're fair and important questions. John 14, 5, kind of going back there. Thomas, remember, he asked the question, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, he's, he's talking about a place they're going to, but the, and they have fear that, like, okay, we don't understand kind of what, quite what you're saying. How do we get there? You have to realize, back in this day, if Jesus disappeared, there was no smartphone, there's no Google Maps, there's no way to communicate. They can get completely lost. Have you ever felt like, really, really lost before where you're like, okay, I'm supposed to be somewhere and I don't know what to be. Have you ever kind of felt that feeling before? I think with phones, it's happened a lot less. The most lost I've ever felt in my life is uh, my dad, when I was eight years old, took me to Disneyland and we're there. They're riding a ride and I really have to go to the bathroom. And you know Disneyland rides, they kind of wrap all the way up, like back and forth and back and forth. And so I told dad, I was like, hey, I'm gonna just go to the bathroom real quick and then I'll kind of meet you more at the front of the line. And I just took off, eight years old, didn't really know what I was doing. So I went to the bathroom, came back to the line and then I was there and then it was just a mass of people and I thought I could find my way back to my dad, but I couldn't find my way back to him. And so I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? So I started going, I waited at the entrance of the lot or the exit of the ride for about a half hour, I still couldn't find my dad. So then I started walking around the place. I started going, you know, and seeing like, okay, can I find him? Can I find him? Walking around the park. I was eight years old. And in my mind, I was just thinking like, I'm an orphan now. Like, this, like, like, this is it. This is, I mean, I'm, I'm crying in the middle. Everyone else is like, this is the happiest place on earth. And I'm like, what is wrong with you monsters? There are children who are lost. I mean, I'm just, I'm, t I'm serious. I was totally lost. And so then I had an idea. 
because I'm a smart kid. And so I had an idea and I was like, I remember where the hotel is. I'm just going to walk back to the hotel. True story. So I left the park. This was like in the 80s. And so I like, the park was kind of different. So I left the park and I'm walking out along the streets of LA. Some of the little babies are passing me by and I was like, I'm going to be your sub one day. And, uh, <laughs> and so I'm walking around the streets of LA and I'm just totally lost and crying. And I was just like, I thought I could find my way back to the hotel. I could not find my way back. And the world just seemed like such a scary, frightening place. And I thought, oh man, I've tried to do this on my own. I don't know what to do. Finally, I made my way back to the park, got inside, and then a security guard just sees me in the middle of the parking lot crying. And he's like, hey, what's going on? Uh, and so I told him, I was like, I can't find my parents. He's like, okay, come with me. So he puts me on his little golf cart, kind of takes me. And there's this part of the Disneyland where like, all the bad kids who get lost go. And so like, <laughs> there's like one kid just lighting things on fire. Like, it was just like, <laughs> I, was like I was like, what has happened to my life? I'm in like, Disneyland juvie. And so it was just like, <laughs> it's not great. And then finally, my dad and my mom, they come and I hug them. And I was like, and dad was like, what were you doing? And I was like, I just got lost. And I realized like, I was trying to kind of make things up. I was trying to do things on my own way. And it was just turning out worse and worse. A lot of us don't get lost practically, but we get lost spiritually. We get lost by like, we're trying to do things on our own way. We're trying to do things in our own way in our careers in our marriages, in our friendships, in our relationships. We're like, I got this, I'm gonna handle it. And the more we try to do things on our own way, the more messed up it gets and twisted and lost. Jesus said, stop it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, what's important is we're not just praying in Jesus' name, we are praying the truth and the life. I really wanted to like break down these words because I think that's such an important idea. And so uh, I, I looked up what these words meant in Greek. And so first of all, the, in Greek, the way means, uh, in Greek you say hodos, hodos. Now if you're from Amarillo, you say hodos. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> my, my parents are from Amarillo, that's how my dad would say it, but it's hodos, which literally means the way, the road, the path. And so it's like, okay, how do I get to where I'm going? What is the path? Jesus is saying, I am that path. I am that road you take. And then the truth, Aletheia, what it simply means is like, this is the truth. This is what's right. This is what's correct. If you want what's right in your life, if you want what's correct, follow Jesus. And then finally it says, the life, which is Zoe. The life, which in Greek means life or living. And so when we pray in our own way, we can feel like we're making it up as we go. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we align ourselves with the way, the truth, and the life. Have you felt lost this year? You felt lost at all? Pray in the name of Jesus. Have you felt confused? Pray in the name of Jesus. Have you felt kind of dead inside? Things aren't the way they used to be? Pray in the name of Jesus. You see, this is not just an idea in this passage. This idea of praying in the name of Jesus is lots of places in scripture. John 15 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And so Jesus is telling them all this, and then Philip speaks up, and he, Philip doesn't get a lot of stage time in the Bible, but like this is his moment to shine, and so he speaks up, and he, Philip says to him, and Going back to John 14, he says, Lord, show us the Father, that is all we need. 
Like, Philip wants God. He's like, Jesus, you're nice, but what I want is God. And so, to Philip, the idea of, like, you could just speak to God anytime you like is totally foreign. Okay, we kind of take it for granted as modern-day Christians of, like, yeah, we can have a conversation with God. We can speak to God himself. We understand this idea. For these disciples, this idea is completely foreign. They don't understand. The only people in their time who could speak to God were priests who had gone a life, who had been chosen, gone through a lifetime of education. Those are the only people. For us in modern day sand, it'd be like showing up to the White House and being like, hey, I pay my taxes. I want an appointment with the President of the United States. This is my right. I want that. They're going to turn you away and say, no way. Philip thought that's the same idea with talking to God. It's like, there's no way that someone like me can talk to God. But he's like, Jesus, what is the secret sauce? How do we get to God himself? And Jesus kind of rebukes him. He says, don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The thing I've told you, don't come from me. The Father lives in me and he is doing his own work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or believe me because of the miracles I have done. And so you have to remember, if you're with God, you're with that same God. I mean, Jesus is saying, remember a few chapters ago, I raised Lazarus from the dead. That was God working through me. That is what it means. When you talk to me, you are talking to God. And so then what Jesus says next is crazy. In verse 14, 12, he says, and I can assure you, whoever believes in me will do the same things I have done. And they will do even greater things I have done because I am going to the Father even greater things than Jesus had done, even greater things than healing the blind, than making cripples walk, than delivering demons out of people, than raising the dead. How could, I mean, the disciples were like, how could we do greater things than you? But they couldn't picture what would happen, which is the name of Jesus was gonna go all around the world and not just change their current history, but the history that goes all the way through time, even to where we are sitting this very moment. That is what the power of the name of Jesus is. They didn't understand that hospitals, there was something, they didn't even know what a hospital was, but there was something going to be called a hospital, which anyone with sick could go to and be healed. And do you know why most hospitals have been built in modern Western culture? They've been built in the name of Jesus. So in the name of Jesus, hospitals were built and so many people were healed and set free. Millions, billions, countless people have been clothed in the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus has gone to every single continent of earth and set the captive free. They were in this one little tiny sliver of earth, but the name of Jesus would go and transcend space and time and transform humanity. He's like, that is the power that is coming through me. So yes, some of you guys are being ministered to, things are happening, but this power is gonna be exponential and it's gonna be exponential through all of you. That is the plan of the gospel. And he makes it really clear in Matthew 28 when he says, Jesus came to them, last thing, the Great Commission, and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. I love how it starts. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me, and I'm giving it to you now, is what Jesus is saying. And so that sort of strength is what we have. Leads me to my final point, which is this. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it for you. The Father's glory will be shown through the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. He says it twice to really hit the idea. And you see, the name of Jesus is about identity. 
It's not a, a magic eight ball, which like, okay, I shake it up and I say it and it's like casting a spell that it's there. No, Jesus says, you, when you pray in my name, you are lining up with God's perspective himself. You see, God doesn't want you to pray from your perspective, but from his perspective. There is this deep identity that comes with the name of Jesus, where you're like, okay, I'm aligning myself with something, something more powerful, something more greater. Yesterday, we had Heather Redding's service right on this stage, right in this place, and I got to see so many of the Redding family come up and share their story. And what I loved about getting to see them coming up was everyone came up and they said, there's an identity in being a Redding. This is who we are. This is what our family is about. Our family is a place we laugh, we are honest, we care for each other. This is our identity. And I saw that pride and the sense of identity there. And I think as Christians, we are called in that same identity when we pray in the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus means you have an eternal perspective. It means you love and care for others. It means you believe sometimes the greatest people are those who seem to have the least. That's what it means to pray in the name of Jesus. Praying in the name of Jesus is also about authority. Remember when I was, that story earlier, when I was a sub, all those kids are looking there, that one kid looks up at me and he says, and I say, hey, you need to sit down. And he's like, sit down or what? Here's what I did in that moment. I said, see that phone over there? I'm gonna use it to call the principal. If you don't listen to the principal, security will come. You'll spend the rest of the day in detention. If you refuse to go to detention, the next step is the police will come and you'll spend the day in jail. But I don't want any of that to happen because you seem like a nice kid. And so let's read this great poem by, Greg, by Langston Hughes. Please, son, have a seat. And that kid sat right down. He sat down not because of my authority. He sat down because I called him the authority of the principal, of security, of the police himself. I was like, there's a whole army of people behind me, and they are on my side, and you don't want to mess with me. This is what happens when we call Jesus. We're like, okay, I don't have the authority on my own. I'm not that great. I'm not that strong. But I have all the power of heaven behind me, and I'm calling on that authority when I pray in the name of Jesus. You see, we fight some of these battles on our own, and we don't have to. It, it, I'm a pop culture guy. I love movies, and I do think there's a scene in uh, Avengers Endgame that really shows it where it's like Captain America's there. If you've not seen the movie, he's there. He is totally beat up. He's bloody. His shield's broken in half, and he stands up, and he looks out, and there's a whole army of people who are there, and he's like, like, there's like robot dogs coming out of planes, Thanos is there, there's just like every bad guy from every Avengers movie is all there, and you look at his face and he just looks totally de dejected, like there's no way I can win this battle. And the greatest moment in Avengers is when all of a sudden all these portals come and there are certain people who walk, like Doctor Strange shows up and you know, uh, Black Panther shows up and all the different people and all the Avengers are coming to it and Captain America realizes like, I don't have to do this on my own. There's something greater and more powerful with me. This is not just something that happens in Marvel movies. This is something that happens in scriptures as well. Yeah. One of my favorite stories is in 2 King where Elisha is there and he's in a little rickety old cottage there and the king is sent for him. And so uh, I want to actually read this story out of uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14. Then the king of Aram sent horses, chariots, and a large army to Dothan. They arrived at night and surrounded the city. So Elisha's in his little city in his little place all by himself. And Elisha's servant got up early that morning. When he went outside, he saw an army with horses and chariots all around the city. 
This kid is freaking out. He runs inside. He says, Elisha, oh my master, what can we do? He's kind of saying, we're going to die. I'm going to die. They're probably going to take you, but I'm going to die. We have no hope. <laughs> and so Elisha looks at him, verse 16, and he says this, don't be afraid. The army that fights for us is larger than the army that fights for Aram. The kid's like, what are you talking about? Like, it's me and you. You have like a staff. Like, we're not going to do it. And so then verse 17, I love. Then Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I ask you to open my servant's eyes so that he can see. The kid's eyes get open and he looks around and he sees angels surrounding the whole city. And he has this confidence that like, okay, we are not doing this on our own. We have such a more powerful thing for us. I want to invite the band to come on up here. We have a shorter worship time at the beginning of service because we like to take some time at the end and really worship together. And so what I want to invite us to do right now is just take a little bit of time and worship and lift our voices. And I want to ask you this. Is anyone facing like a difficult situation right now? Maybe it's in career. Maybe it's in family. It's just something, maybe it's in health. There's just some sort of situation that you're feeling, facing right now. And you're like, I'm facing this situation. It feels difficult and I feel alone. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything else like that. But I want you to think about this question. Are you facing something difficult? And as you're facing this difficult thing, are you trying to face it on your own? You see, we are not called as Christians to pray like the substitute teacher. We're not called as Christians to pray prayers that feel empty words just going up. We are called to pray in the name and the identity of Jesus so that God can break through in our stories. We do wins like at our Team One Huddle uh, every week, and it's so amazing to me to hear story after story of people who are like, hey, I was facing something, and then a whole army of people prayed for me, and God broke through and did a miracle, and I don't know how it happened, but God was doing something there. Listen, that is what God wants for all of us. That doesn't mean there's not a battle still to be fought. In Avengers, they all showed up. They still had to fight that battle. Elisha, there was still a battle to be fought. That doesn't mean it's magically over, but what it means is like you don't have to walk into a situation feeling afraid, feeling alone, feeling hopeless. That is not what God has called you to. You were called to hope and strength.